It's customary at the beginning of each year for the elders to deliver to the church a state of the church address of sorts, to talk about the things that have happened in the year before and to look forward to the year ahead to chart a course of where God wants us to be and what He wants us to do. And so this is that address, and I'm excited to be up here this morning as an elder here at Christ Community Church. If you're new to this church, my name is Brent. I'm I'm one of the uh, two lay elders that we have here alongside John Fox, who is our uh, interim lead pastor at the moment. And we have good things to report in uh, the church. We do. It has been We have many blessings that God has given to us in the year past, and so it's my privilege to report to you some of those things, and and probably the first thing among them that I would just want to talk about is just the, the incredible staff that we have here at Christ Community Church. The last year has been a very difficult year of sorts, absolutely, give them a give them a hand. The last year has been a very difficult year at Christ Community Church for many reasons, and one of the things that it has has shown us is just the faithfulness of the men and women who serve this church on our staff, whether it's John as the interim lead pastor over these last few months, Gatlin is our worship leader, uh, Sharon is our chief administrator, and Wendy uh, Galloway, our, our director of the kids' ministry, they just do a tremendous job. And I can't reflect on the fi- last year without talking about it and without uh, just praising them for the, for the amazing things that God has done through them. We also have at this church many strong and amazing leaders. We have seen many of those leaders continue to step up, whether it is the community group leaders that we have that week in and week out host community groups or lead community groups uh, here at this church who are really the front line of ministry here at Christ Community Church, and they just do an amazing job, a tremendous job. We have a great team of deacons who help with everything from uh, from care of our members to set up and tear down here on Sunday morning. And we have amazing men and women who serve on our serve teams who show up week in and week out to participate in our road crew and to set up and tear down every single week, who are back there right now with our children, teaching them the gospel and helping us to raise those children, knowing Christ and knowing the story of Christ and all that He has accomplished. There are so many good people here at Christ Community Church, and we are thankful for that. God is doing amazing things through the people of this church. In addition to that, this church has continued its history, its long history of supporting local and world missions this past year. Every year here at Christ Community Church, we give at least 10% of everything that is given here, we pass on to other church planters in local missions, supporting the planting of churches all throughout Texas, all throughout the country, and even all throughout the world. We continue to do that faithfully, and we have supported many churches over the last year. And in addition to that, we support world missions. As the gospel goes out into the world, Christ Community Church continues to support world missions through our support of Fee Teach Hope, which plants churches in Kenya, Africa. 
through our missionaries, Neil and Sarah Sandoz, who are serving faithfully in South Sudan, and through the, the Carly and Fursden Welsh family as they prepare to go to China. We continue to support world missions and the advance of the gospel all throughout the world, and that has continued in 2008, and it will continue in 2019, 2018 and 2019. Those are some of the good things that God continues to do here at Christ Community Church. But it wouldn't really be an honest state of the church address if I didn't talk about some of the difficulties. I think we have to talk about some of the difficulties. It's been a tough year in many ways. We had a lead pastor resign from the church, our founding pastor resigned from the church. That was difficult on all of us. And on top of that, there was disagreement and dissent and dysfunction and disorder at the very top of the leadership of this church. And in many ways, we have failed you. The church is smaller than it was at the beginning of 2018. Giving is down. And in many ways, the future is uncertain. Now, those are the facts. I've given you some of the facts of this church. But you don't really need me to recite facts to you. Most of you have been here, have lived it, have witnessed it alongside with me. You really don't need me to tell you the facts. Here's a bigger question. Here's a better question. What do they mean? What do the facts mean? That's, that's a far more difficult question to answer. And it's probably the real question that most of you have asked. What does this really mean for me and my family? I've asked myself that question over the past several months. What does it mean? Well, I want to try to answer that question this morning. So just finishing the holidays, did anybody go see any good stories, any good movies, any good TV shows? I know I did. I, and uncharacteristic of me, I got to go out and watch two movies at the theater over the Christmas holidays and, and got to see two pretty good movies. I actually enjoyed both of them, uh, both of them with my kids. And if you're like me, you may have a, a tradition over the Christmas holiday season to watch some Christmas movies. You know, maybe you like Elf or, or Scrooge or um, It's a Wonderful Life. That's one of my family's favorite movies. My wife and I make kind of a tradition every year to watch It's a Wonderful Life and to, and to kind of, uh, you know, watch that story every Christmas season. And I love it. It's one of my favorite movies that I get to watch every single year. Stories make up such an important part of our lives. Stories are so important. We spend hours and hours and hours of our week, of our days, some of us sometimes, we spend hours uh, of our lives, maybe years of our lives could be calculated in our consumption of stories. We are obsessed with stories, whether it's movies, binge-watching TV, Podcasts have become so popular, hearing the stories that are told over podcasts. Most of us love to read really good books. There are some books that we've all read that are kind of the cornerstones of who we are that have taught us so much. But not just there, not just in entertainment. 
what do we do when we get together with people? Maybe around the water cooler at work, we tell stories, right? When we're around the dinner table, what do we do? We, we tell stories to our family, to our friends when they come over, maybe over you know, a good drink or over a meal. We tell stories. Stories are so important to our lives. They're, they're how we process the world. And what do you want to know every time you meet someone new? You want to know what's their story? Where are they from? And you probably want people to know your own story, where you're from. Stories are a distinctive aspect of human existence. They are so important to human existence. As a matter of fact, I would say that it is probably the one thing, really, if you get down to it, that separates us from all the rest of creation, is the story. We want to know the story. And why is that? Why do we care so much (coughs) about stories? Because stories bring meaning to the facts. Stories bring meaning to the facts. You see, there's all kinds of facts in the world, but otherwise, without a story, they're just random facts. They don't make any sense unless we know what they mean. How do they fit in in the grand scheme of things? What's the story? A story is simply this. It's an arrangement of facts in such a way that it makes sense, in a way that we can understand what those facts mean and how they fit in. Stories are incredibly important to human existence. What do authors do when they're writing a story? Well, word by word, sentence by sentence, chapter by chapter, they court out a plot. They, court, they chart out a plot to their story. And that in that plot, they build the tension slowly over time, until the conflict at the center of the story reaches its climactic moment, when there's the great conflict that has to be overcome, the great great enemy that has to be defeated. And then as the story winds down, as the conflict is resolved, they reach their conclusion, their end. You have those great words at the back of every book that says, this is the end. This is the purpose for which the author was writing. You see, the reason why authors do this is they want you to understand something. They're writing something, and they want you to understand the story they're putting together. They want you to understand their purpose. When you read a story written by an author, you begin to understand something about the author. The author is revealing something about himself to you. He has a purpose. Well, ladies and gentlemen, God is the author. God is the author. God has authority. He has the final say. He has the last word in all things. He's the author of this story. God is the creator, and he created this world with a purpose. He created it with a purpose in mind for it to achieve some end, some purpose that he had in mind from the foundation of the world. 
We're not on God's plan B or his plan C or his plan D. D. We are in God's plan A. We are fulfilling the very purpose that God created this world to fulfill. He's the author. And in his story, he's revealing something about himself and the way that he arranges the facts of this world and the way that he puts things together. He is arranging the story to reveal himself perfectly, including all of the facts of our lives. Most of us have read at some point in our lives Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 through 16. We've seen them as they relate to us. Maybe we've read them at a baby shower of some sort. But here is what they, they write. David writes this as he talks about how well God knows him. He says this, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. What was written in the book? The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. See, David understands something about his existence. He understands that God in all of his ways has planned his existence, has purposed all of his steps, has created a story for him. It is written in God's book. Everything is written in God's book. My story, our story is part of the story of God. His book, every success, every failure, everything good that enters our lives everything bad that enters our life. When David was at one of his darkest moments, he wrote another psalm, Psalm 56. It's a psalm that he wrote right after being captured by the Philistines and imprisoned when he was in the city of Gath. And it was one of the darkest episodes of his life when certainly everything was in question. Would he survive? Would he make it out? And he, he tells about how his enemies have surrounded him. How anxious he is about his condition, about where he is. And he, he writes this. You have kept count of my tossings. You ever have those nights where you're in bed and you can't go to sleep? Where you're so anxious and what's to come in the day ahead that you just can't close your eyes, you can't go asleep, you toss and turn all night. David says, God, you've kept count of all of my tossings. You've kept count of all of them. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Are they not all in your book? David knows that even his tossing and turning at night, even his weeping, even his most perilous moment is part of God's story. It's with that kind of confidence that someone like the Apostle Paul can write in Romans chapter 8, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. 
for those who are called according to his purpose. How does he know that? How does he know that all things are going to work together for good? Because he knows that it's all part of God's story. He knows that God is working it all together just like an author plots the course of his book. God is plotting the course of human history to accomplish the purpose, the end for which he created the world. It's all part of his story. And so Paul, with full confidence, can say, but we know that God is working all things together for good. God is arranging the facts. He's bringing meaning and purpose to everything. We know that. So what kind of story is God telling? What kind of story is God telling? Well, I don't know how many of you were like me when you were assigned a book in high school or in college from a professor, a novel of some sort, and you realized very quickly that you were a very slow reader and you didn't have time to finish it. And you rushed down to the bookstore and you said, hey, you know, I, I don't have time to, to, to read this 500-page book. Why don't I buy the Cliff's Notes off the shelf? And you pull that off the shelf and you just read the important points, the things that you need to know so that you can take the test. Anybody else have that experience in high school or college? I know I did all of the time. And praise be to God, because even though that He is declaring who he is through every single event that has happened in human history. We can't know that. We can't understand that. We can't see what God is doing in our limitation, in our short lifespan, what he is doing over the whole course of the world. Fortunately for you and I, God has given us his cliff notes He's told us what we need to know. He has revealed, specially in Scripture, everything we need to know to understand the purposes of God in this world. He's given us what we need to know. One of my favorite stories in Scripture comes in the book of Luke. It is right after the resurrection. And right after the resurrection, there are two men that we meet who are walking out of Jerusalem, and they're walking to a small town of Emmaus just down the road. And it's in Luke chapter 24, and as they are walking on this seven-mile trip to the city of Emmaus, they're talking about everything that has happened in Jerusalem about all the events that have gone on over the past few days of of Jesus who had entered the city like a king and who had come and who had been arrested and and then tried as as a criminal and who had been crucified. And the rumors that they were starting to hear that maybe he had been resurrected. And they were asking a question, what does it all mean? What does it mean? And suddenly a stranger happens upon them, and he walks up to them, and he, he, he asks them, he says, well, what are you guys talking about? And little do they know that this stranger who is now walking with them is Jesus himself, and they are, they are kind of shocked that this person doesn't seem to know what's going on. So they say, are you the only one in all of Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened over these last few days? And they begin to describe to him 
the things that had happened and, and how this great prophet who they had kind of hoped would be the one who God had promised had come and then he had died, just like everybody else before. And finally, after they ask the question, what does this all mean? They don't, they don't know what it means. He says to them in verse 25, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. You see, we ask ourselves, what kind of story is God writing? Well, to these folks, it had been a mystery. What is God doing? Who is this Christ? Who is the one that God has promised? Is God going to fulfill his promises to Israel? And when Jesus comes alongside these men, he reveals to them the answer to the mystery. He says, it's me. It's the Christ. And he goes into all the Old Testament and he shows to them how God had written this, how he had given them a story. And in that story, all of it was about him and all of the events that had just taken place. He reveals to them the mystery and suddenly their whole world changes. Once they know the mystery, suddenly they understand. Suddenly they see the world from a completely different point of view. Suddenly all of the facts make sense. As they understand the story that God has written. And they say this in verse 32. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us? while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. Their hearts became alive. They started to burn as they suddenly understood what God was doing, the story he was writing. It is the story and the person of Christ that holds all the facts together that holds all things together. That's exactly what Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1 when he says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and here it is, in him all things hold together. Everything makes sense in Christ. The whole reason why the world was made makes sense in Christ. The reason God made this world, the purpose for which he made this world is simply this, the revelation of Jesus Christ. All things hold together in that. And there is no coincidence why the last book of the Bible is named exactly like, is named exactly that, 
the revelation given to John in which he starts off in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That in the end, the whole thing, the whole, everything that God is doing is revealing Christ. That's the reason he created the world. That's the purpose for it. There's a great scene in Revelation chapter 5. As John is called into heaven, as he is seeing this vision, as he is watching this, this heavenly scene in the throne room of God, we read this. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. What's going on here? What is this scroll that John sees? What is it? As a lawyer, people come to me on occasion and they ask me to do their will. Write my will, Brent. I want to pass on all the things that I've accumulated in this world, the things that I have built with my hands, onto my heirs. I want to give it to my son and my daughter. I want to pass it on. And they tell me who they find worthy to receive all that they have. What is this scroll? It's the will of God. Who is worthy? And here's what's happening here. The whole world is checked. Everybody is checked. Are you worthy? Are you worthy? Are you? Am I? Is John? And no one is found. No one is the true son of God. None of us. None of us have borne his image. None of us are worthy. And so John weeps because no one is here to take possession of the creation that God has made. Who is worthy? But the story doesn't end there. Because finally in verse 5 it says this, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though he had been slain. One worthy is found, and he's described in this scene as a lion. A lion, a, fear, a fearsome and, and proud lion. And John sees to look at this lion, and what does he see? The slain lamb of God. He sees the slain lamb of God. The one who actually bore God's image in this world. Just as Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, he is the image of the invisible God. He's the image bearer. 
He's the one who actually looks like God. He is the true Son. And suddenly the mystery is made known, and, and we all know who is worthy. Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy. He is worthy to receive all that the Father has created. And so in verse 9, they begin to sing a new song. Everybody in heaven, the whole hosts of heaven begin to sing a new song. And they say, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. You see, the story doesn't just stop there. Christ is worthy. He is the true Son. But the story doesn't end there. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is explaining the great mystery of God to his Gentile readers, and he says this, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. So Paul is saying, look, there's this great mystery that hasn't been revealed in the ages past, but now we have it. And I'm going to proclaim to you what it is. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the same promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You see, we just read that Christ has ransomed a people from every tribe and every tongue all throughout the world. And here Paul is saying the great mystery that every, everybody was asking the question, who is worthy? Who is worthy to receive the kingdom? And not only have we found out who is worthy, but this worthy individual died for you and me. He has ransomed you and me. And he has made us co-heirs with himself. We just saw, heard of a great story of adoption here in this church. What a beautiful picture of the gospel where a family brings in a young daughter, Viola, into their home and says, you're now an heir. You're now one of us. You're part of our family. And that's what Christ has done with us. He has brought us in as co-heirs with Him. We have been adopted as sons. We will receive our inheritance. Sons and daughters will receive our inheritance. At the beginning of Ephesians, Paul says this. He says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. He works all things. This is His story. God is writing His story for His purpose to reveal Himself to us. It's His story. So what does this have to do for you and I in C3? How does this make sense of our facts. What does it do? Well, we are part of God's great story. We're part of it. You see, from the road 
on Emmaus. From there, it went to the apostles. Christ appeared to his apostles. He appeared to them and he revealed himself to them. And then we find in Scripture that he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. And they also saw him. They also became aware of the worthiness of Christ. And then at Pentecost, as Peter preaches his great sermon about who Christ is, 5,000 people join the church. 5,000. And many are being added to their numbers daily. And then persecution happens. And we just saw this as we are going through the book of Acts. Persecution happens. And one, Paul of Tarsus, begins to ravage the church until Christ appears to him on the road to Damascus. And in an instant, he becomes, he turns from a child of darkness into a child of light. And then Paul goes into the whole world and he goes on his missionary journeys and he preaches this faith to the Gentiles. He tells them the story of Christ to the Ephesians, to the Corinthians, to the Romans. Until eventually the story of Christ has penetrated the entire Roman world. It has gone everywhere out into the world. It reaches the farthest edges of the planet. And during this expansion of this story, as this story goes out into the world, there are ups and there are downs, just like there are here at Christ Community Church. There are good seasons and there are bad seasons. Good times and difficult times. And it's in one of those very difficult times that God's, that the Reformation happens. That God anoints men and women to proclaim the gospel in all of its fullness again. And out of the Reformation, the great Baptist movement of the 17th century happens. And the great confessions of the Baptist faith are written in the 17th century. And those Baptists begin to travel to America to settle into new lands where they bring the gospel with them and where they plant churches. Some of them settled here in Texas in the 1820s. And they began planting churches even in our area today. And the Baptist movement began to grow as Christianity and the gospel began to take over much of this new world. In 1993, a group of men and women from around the area started Clear Creek Community Church just south of here. And in 2001, another group of families and church planners started the Acts 29 network, which is a network whose goal is to send out more church planners, to encourage churches that are established, encourage churches that have a heart for missions, to send out church planners into the world, into their communities, and to plant more churches. And in 2007, Clear Creek Community Church, now a part of that network, sent out elders and their families to Christ Church in Brenham. And in 2011, one of those elders, Casey Cease, with the support of his church, moved here to the Magnolia Woodlands area 
and planted Christ's community church. And for seven years, labored and worked here in this community to build this church. God's good plan, His story, which we are a part of, has brought us to this point. You see, what does this mean for C3? Is that we are still firmly a part of God's good plan. We are still part of His story. All of our facts, everything that I listed to you at the beginning of this sermon, all still holds together in Christ. All of our struggles, all of our difficulties, all of our failures are still being made wrought into the good of God, into our good. We're still part of His story. We still believe His promises. And God is not finished with us yet. Now, because we are part of His story in the coming months, in the coming years, in the coming days, a lot about our character will be revealed. A lot about who we are will be revealed in the days and months to come. And I pray that God will make this church, that He will give Him a character, give us a character of courage and of resolve. Because the mission has not changed. The mission has not changed, and the mission is still to tell the story. You see, we're here because others shared the story with us. We were like everyone else, walking according to the ways of this world. We thought this world was about maybe the American dream, or about our pleasure, about our happiness. We thought this world was all about us, and that is what the world tells you it's all about. That it's all about us. That's what we thought. We were dead. And then someone told us the Scripture, told us the Gospel, reminded us of the story of Christ, pointed out to us who Christ is, how He makes sense of everything. Someone told us that, and we woke up, and we were made alive, and our hearts burned within us, and we saw the world differently than we did before. We understood what it meant. We understood why God created it, and we saw the revelation of God Himself in Jesus Christ. Someone shared the story with us, and all of those things began to happen within us. Maybe with ever-growing clarity, each year you've been a Christian. Maybe not immediately, but as time goes on and you begin to see Christ more and more clearly, that's what happens to you. And our mission here is to do the same. A couple weeks ago, I was teaching a Bible study methods class here at C3 and a group of, of men who had come together to learn about how to study the Bible. And I was the last of several presenters and everybody else had done a really good job about giving their methods as to how you study the Bible. And so I didn't want to just pile on with uh, essentially the same kind of stuff. So I asked a different question. Why do we study Scripture? Why do we study our Bibles? Why do we come to church on Sunday? Why do we engage in prayer throughout the week? Why do we do our own personal quiet time in our prayer closets and in our, in our studies? 
Why do we go to community group to talk about the Bible, to, to think about it with other Christians? Why do we do that? Why do we do Bible study? Why do we read this book? It's not just because we're a social club. It's not just because uh, we're trying to improve ourselves and for our own personal sanctification. We do it not for a better life, not for a better marriage, not to become more prosperous. That's not why we do it. We do it to become better storytellers. We do it to become better storytellers to ourselves so that we can constantly remind ourselves of this great story that makes sense of all other stories. We do it to become better storytellers to our spouses, to our children, to our parents, to our friends, and to the world. We study the Scriptures so that we know how to tell the story. The thing that makes sense of everything else. Because without that, nothing else matters. There is no meaning to anything. The great dividing line between atheism and biblical Christianity is simply this. In one, there's no storyteller. There's no story. There's no author. Nothing has meaning. But here there is. God has given meaning, and it's the revelation of Himself through Jesus Christ. And here's what I can promise you at Christ Community Church in the year to come. And I hope that you will continue to be a part of that here. Is that we will faithfully proclaim the story. We'll faithfully do that. That's where we're going this year. Is we're going to proclaim the story to each other and to the world around us. Let's pray.